and welcome to another episode of that 60s recording podcast the podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording okay i hope you've all had a really good week my guest or uh, or guests this week uh, are john carter and his wife jill uh, john carter was a uh, backing vocal session singer uh, and often lead in uh, Denmark Street in London through the 60s. And he was also, well, principally a songwriter and released music under various guises. Um, Carter Lewis and the Southerners, um, which where he worked with Jimmy Page quite a lot. Uh, the Ivy League, um, the new Vaudeville Band, Ministry of Sound, uh, King Cade. Um, I mean, absolutely tons of stuff. <laughs> there's, there's about... There's well over 20 projects, well over 20 projects that he's been involved with. Um, And what's really cool about this conversation is uh, John's been with his wife for a lot of years and they were together all through this this time. And um, Jill is involved in the conversation and uh, it's a really fascinating insight into the sort of day to day workings of Denmark Street. And um, and, you know, to get sort of gushy for a second, they're clearly incredibly besotted with each other. And it's so nice to uh, witness a a conversation like this, you know, just a, a sort of a team navigating the 60s music industry together and um, doing it successfully. You know, I, I just really, really, really did enjoy this conversation. Um, you'll find also in the notes, I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, I've made a, a podcast playlist, um, the link to which will be in the show notes. So if you have a look, and I've put a selection of uh, tracks from John on uh, that list, and I should also mention that the reason that we are having this conversation, uh, to which I thank Matt Ingham of Cherry Red Records, um, they have put together an incredible, incredible compilation of uh, John's work through all of the projects that I've talked about. It's called uh, John Carter, My World Fell Down, The John Carter Story. And you can get it at cherryred.co.uk. comes out on the 18th of March. They've, um, they've sent me a copy and it's four CDs and there's a, a well over five hours worth of music. And on, honest to God, it's incredible. Absolutely amazing. I enjoyed every second of it. Um, and uh, yeah, I've loved it. So go and check that out um, and enjoy this conversation with John Carter. One thing I've found from doing this podcast is Birmingham had a much bigger music scene than I ever gave it credit for. I mean, I, I grew up in Milton Keynes, um, which obviously didn't even exist in the 60s. Um, but you kind of think of London as a, as a sound, you know, you had the Tottenham sound, you had the Liverpool sound, and Birmingham actually had a really thriving scene. So what was it like sort of growing up through the 50s and how, what were you sort of ingesting musically back then? Well... I was a bit younger then, so I didn't take too much uh, notice of it uh, until later, till I was, you know, uh, what age would I have been? Uh, 18 or 19. Eight, yeah, 18 or 19, and I started to get interested. But um, I, was, I was always told that you've got, you've got to go down to London if you want to be in the music business. Yeah. And I think I was right to do that because, uh, you know, I've got to – sort of job down there straight away and uh, a publishing deal straight away and it was it was great it all came up good <laughs> how did you um were you in the same school class as ken i'm talking about ken lewis and or ken hawker yes. 
Um, uh, Ken Lewis, yeah. Yeah, how did you guys sort of um, establish a partnership? What happened when, you know, do you remember writing your first song together? How did the whole conversation come about? Yeah, the, the class we were in, they had a, a concert. Um, school, school, school concert, yeah. Um, every, every year. And uh, we suggested maybe that we could write some songs for that. And that's where we started writing songs together in Ken. Oh, cool. and, uh, and it went it went very well. And we thought, I think we must stick with this. It's good fun. <laughs> did you have a, did what would sort of one of you write the chords and one of you like write the lyrics? Or was it, what was the sort of collaborative process like? No, it was, it was you know, we just got together and gave each other ideas and we just, you know, put those ideas together. <laughs> oh, yeah, Ken, uh, my wife just reminded me. Ken played uh, quite a good piano, and I, uh, I was on the guitar, so we had two instruments going, so oh, cool. it was good. Um, and then, so you kind of, I'm picturing you guys with this sort of collection of songs. Um, I suppose, if I can use it, say, like naively heading to London, just going, right, let's, let's go and see what happens. And uh, and off you went, sort of. In, am I right in thinking you were door knocking on Denmark Street publishing houses, just sort of? Yes. Yeah, trying yeah. to speak with people. Yeah, we we knew nothing about what how it was going to happen, and we just said, oh, we know where Denmark Street is. That was the main thing because everyone told us you've got to go to Denmark Street. That's where the you know the um, the action is, and uh, that's what we did. And we knocked on doors and got. To, answers from most of them saying oh he may he may uh, be able to see you in three weeks time <laughs> and we used to say well running down here for a day <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we eventually we got through to to beer um <clears throat> and uh, someone there terry kennedy yep. said no let's let me hear your stuff and we played him a few songs and he said, I like these. I'm going to have a word with the, the manager and uh, the boss. And uh, he, he got us in there. So we, after that, we, we thought, well, let's go down to London and we'll live down in London while, while we get through all this. So what was the kind of um, sort of technicalities of what you had to deliver? So did you, you know, did they say, right, you, if you come down on such and such a day and we'll record a demo in the studio or how what kind of what happened once you left that um that meeting where you agreed to work with together well we just <clears throat> concentrated on writing um more stuff actually and and playing it to them to see which ones attracted them most and then we sort of knew which which way to go okay and it was it the i might hopefully i've got my chronology right but the the song back on the scene that was the first song you recorded um i think it i think it was yes yeah with as as then carter lewis and the southerners um, yeah so presume so that was then the end of a fairly long line of stuff that you'd written and decided that that was the one you were going to go ahead with yeah i think that's right yeah and do you remember that session at all uh, do you remember how it sort of came about but was that your first recording experience uh i think it was yeah but um luckily Pierre had a studio of their own downstairs and so it was very easy to just pop in there and say can we use the studio for a bit and we'd record things <laughs> yeah that's convenient <laughs> it, it was very 
Was it quite a pokey little room? I can imagine it being quite small. <laughs> very pokey. Yes, yeah. very pokey. <laughs> but we could put up with that if we got something recorded. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I wouldn't be forgiven if I didn't ask about the fact that Jimmy Page was potentially on that session. It's supposedly the first session that he ever played as well, that, that particular one. I don't know. I don't know if he was his first, but um, we got to know Jimmy very well. And... Uh, I always feel we we gave him a chance, didn't we? Yeah. We introduced him to various people, and uh, you know they liked his stuff, and uh, he was away. Oh, cool! I love. I've spoken with a, a few of those, you know, those guys like um, Clem Catini was a, a recent chap I spoke with, and yeah, um, talking about uh, oh, and Ted Fletcher as well, another sort of singer on the session scene, and talking about hanging around in Denmark Street, and Clem Clem spoke about hanging in, around in cafes and presumably guys like you would have a, a song that needed recording and someone would, obviously some would be booked, but at, at sometimes Clem would just get called, you know, that we get a session that needs to happen this afternoon. Are you free to come and do it? Um, yeah. And I kind of picture that vibrant atmosphere of, uh, of lots of things happening and musicians just be, sort of being at your disposal. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And especially Clem. Clem was... You know, a genius. <laughs> he could he could come to a session and he could actually get everything he wanted. You just said, said to him, could you make that a bit more sense? And he'd do it. <clears throat> all, all sort of worked out when he was there. Amazing. Eh? I mean, he just came across as the most humble chap, which I guess made him completely easy to work with and, uh, and really sort of amenable. Yeah, absolutely. So once you'd recorded back on the scene, I, I suppose, uh, were you 17 at that age? Um, something like 20, that. Twenty, probably. Okay. And, and imagine. Goodness, you... my Wi-Fi was twenty. <laughs> <laughs> so just imagine that you had sort of, you know, you dreams of of it going massive and um and sort of getting a, a hit and perhaps it didn't quite pan out how you thought and actually it was a lot harder work than you might have anticipated as a young teenager. Um, that's probably true. Uh, not necessarily hard. It was like you had to wait. A bit more. Yeah. <laughs> you had to get more experience. And did it sort of... Yes. Oh, sorry. George sorry. just reminded me, hmm. even in those days, it was great fun. Whatever you did, if you couldn't, you know, finish your record or whatever, or you had to come back and do it another day, it was all, all still great fun. Oh, yeah. You young and, um, you know, no, um, nothing to sort of tie you down, so to speak. So you were just sort of enjoying, enjoying music, I suppose. That's right. Yeah. And then, so the the next sort of bit on the chronology I've got is when you you wrote a track called "Will I Want" for Mike San, and that went to number one. So that must have been a real landmark for you to to think, um, you know, we we are good at this, and you know there is a success to be had. Well, I think that's right. Yeah, it was um, a landmark for our pockets as well. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I'm thinking, so, so what happened between so, so this Mike the Mike soundtrack and where you you were at kind of in the sort of sixty one sixty two and then you started to do things with Perry Ford and the Ivy League. Um, yes. How did that relationship with Perry Ford develop? Uh, what can I say? <coughs> Joe, what? Oh. Perry. Perry was around in yeah. Denmark Street. Yes, Perry was always around in Denmark Street. I think he was in Denmark Street before we were. But right. um, 
he, uh, I don't know, to work with, I found him a bit difficult, shall okay. we say. Okay. Was he sort of in the sense that he was a slightly older and, a, and more demanding, or? Yes, that's, that's right. He was definitely older, wasn't he, than us? Yeah. Um, and you guys were doing, was there, was there a, a, the sort of the three of you were doing backing vocal sessions? Um, for yes. Quite, so as long, alongside your songwriting, you were sort of, I suppose, making a steady living, you know, doing sessions for, I mean, songs that we now know are, are big hits, but back then it would have just been, I suppose, sort of part and, par- part and parcel of what you did. Yes, that's right. I mean, uh, we got a, a lot of fun out of uh, doing session work, I think, because, I don't know, it was, how would you call it, interesting? <laughs> yeah, <Or>? yeah. <laughs> You, you you just wondered what other people were doing on their records and you, you found out a lot of things and uh, a lot of it stuck with you and you, you tended to sort of develop that. So that was, you were taking influence for what you wanted to then go on and do as well? Exactly, that's it. I'm, I'm really interested in your songwriting process. I, I, I talked to... Um, I mentioned Ron earlier, and I know you didn't know him, but he talked about, you know, he writes songs very much in his head and doesn't think cordially, I don't think. He just thinks of lyrics and sort of subjects. How, how do you, um, how, how does a song come about for you? That's a good question, because I think, with me anyway, it's in different ways. I, could, I can be playing the guitar and I'll write, I'll write something on the guitar, you know, very, very short simple uh, things and they suddenly develop into a whole song i'm thinking oh i like that bit and then oh i put that bit when that bit <laughs> and it develops into eventually one hopes a good song do you tend to do them in one sitting or does it does an idea sit with you for a while and then you go back to it yeah i think uh, you get an idea just a very small idea and then when you sit down and think, let's see how we can develop this, then it starts to to become a proper song. There's a, a couple of the um, recordings that I found. I'm, I'm trying to find a reference to it now. Oh, so here, um, Your Mum is Out of Town. Don't know if you, um, you remember that song specifically. But... Your Mama's Out of Town tonight. <laughs> exactly. <Thank> that's it. <laughs> I mean, that's 1963, and, you know, I, I come from a perspective of 60s music of, like, the Beatles. That was sort of my gateway drug into 60s music, like everybody's, really. Um, yeah. And it sounds, from the, the sound of that record specifically, sounds like it's enormously accomplished compared to, say, the Please Please Me record, which was obviously just, you know, a lot of young lads. So there must have been a really healthy scene of, of people like you doing similar things, and the if for uh, for one reason or another the beatles um got noticed for for something but it surprised me at how how together that that recording was and how strong the song and the harmonies and a lot of the ideas that the beatles were doing two or three albums in are already there on that 1963 track well that's that's nice of you to say that but um obviously at the time i didn't i didn't think that oh, i just thought yeah. I just thought, you know, we'll we'll do this and uh, we'll do it as well as we can. (laughs) That's what turned out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then, the 
Something that sort of surprised me about the, the way that your your history was is how many band names and projects and everything you've been involved with. And it um, took me a little while of writing stuff down to sort of unpick the order of it all and to work out how it all fit together. Um, <laughs> my, my wife's just started to <laughs> laugh at us, I think, because she she knows what I was like. <laughs> <laughs> So was it, was it just a case of, let's say, the Ivy League? Was it the case that you guys did a, you know, you wrote a song, you put it out as the Ivy League, and then it happened to stick, so you stuck with it for a little while, and then when it stopped sticking, <laughs> you moved on to something yes. else? That's right, yeah, yeah. And also we got an awful lot of just, you know, turning up and singing on other people's records, which uh, was very... Very nice. We got some nice money from that anyway. And uh, the, the thing was that if they booked you to go and sing on their record, yeah, usually there was no, no, no parts or anything like that. They just said, have a listen and see what you think and make something up. So oh, cool. it was very quite exciting. Yeah. Did you find that exciting or did you find it a pressure? No, we found it quite exciting because we could actually end up doing something that we wanted to do. Did you even to... if it was just a backing vocal? Oh right, so you were, even with BVs, you sort of had free reign to to make suggestions and and be creative in a sense. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That's um, that's really cool. I mean, I in my own studio, I enjoy working in that way, and I found that some people really rise to it and and thrive on on that sort of um freedom and some people really struggle with it and enjoy being told what to do um, yeah but it sounds like you really enjoyed it <laughs> well i think when you when you like to make something up and it's sounded when they play it back and it sounds great you think hmm, i'm glad you did that and do you think that that's that if you almost had been pre-prepared that the the spontaneity would have been lost and you know, part of the fun of that is making it up in the moment and hearing it back and, and it being fresh. Yeah, I, I, I agree, definitely. I mean, to, to make it up on the spur of the moment, um, you know, you, you've listened to the, the whole record so many times that you think, I think we need this on it. And if it works, you think, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> There's so, it really interests me, that whole how fast everything was you know bands these days and an artist will pour over songs endlessly and i love how you know you're just talking about uh, you know we we were using backing vocals as, a, as an example but how quickly everything came about i mean were you you must have been doing different projects almost every other day um working on something new or whether it was your stuff or somebody else's and and things got turned around really quickly and and presumably released quite quickly yeah, that's that's very true. We were working every day of the week most of the time. Yeah. yeah. And did you you enjoyed that pace of it? Yeah, absolutely. Because every session was different. You can't you can't sort of say, oh, well, this is a bit like yesterday, and not one. <laughs> Everything was different. Did you have a preference of what you liked working with? Was it songwriting was your first love? That's everything you wanted to do, and was everything else periphery, or did you enjoy the mixture? Uh, the mixture, how do you mean the mixture of? Oh, doing some backing vocal stuff and then um, doing some of your own stuff and, and sort of doing the mixture of session right, session sort of musicianship and then oh, also uh, doing writing. Yeah, I see what you mean, yeah. Well, 
to me, it was all in a day's work. You know, if you did something in the morning, now you, then you had a session in the in the afternoon, and in the evening you'd be at home, so you'd write another song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm I'm envious. I wish I, I wish I was brought up in the sixties. That sounds sounds like a dream a dream life. <laughs> It was hard work, I tell you. Oh, well, yeah, I can imagine that as well, <laughs> being pushed, uh, pulled from pillar to post. Um, you, I mean, do you remember the, the sort of, I'm, I'm moving forward in the chronology here to when, um, so Can't, uh, Can't You Hear My Heartbeat, the Herman's, Hermit's record, getting up into, I think it was, was it number two in the US, must have been a real, um, a real big moment for you, getting a record, a sort of hit record in the US. It was, yeah. We were delighted with that. I, I can't well, even you... imagine, you know, that's... Nowadays, you know, we you see stuff from the US all the time and it must have just been so exciting to think this this sort of land across the pond um, and your, your, something you've come up with is, um, is making a big impact over there. Yeah, it, it was. It was uh, amazing. I mean, I couldn't believe it for ages. <laughs> <laughs> Well, could you talk to me about the process of where, and it doesn't necessarily need to be that song, but if we take that um, Can't You Hear My Heartbeat as an example, did you make a demo of that and then it was given to Herman's Hermits? Or how would the process go of you creating a song, you know, with Ken or, um, you know, uh, whoever, uh, depending on which point, how would it go from your inception of the song to the artist well, then recording it? I think it's just a case of we tried to do the best demos as we could, you know, and make them really, really nice for other people to listen to and say, wow, that's good. I'm going to record that. And uh, we, we succeeded in doing that a few times, didn't we? <laughs> so, so you did actually make, you'd, you'd make a demo tape, well, yeah, sort of a, um, a, a demo tape, tape yes. kind of thing. And, and then it would be, you know, passed around to, diff- to various people who would then, Presumably it would be their management would then pick it up. Exactly. It's like, you know, when we used to write things and you'd play them to Mickey most because Mickey was involved with a lot of people. And uh, if, if Mickey liked it, he'd give it to one of his people and they'd, they'd record it. Oh, fantastic. I mean, it's, a, it's great to hear the, the name Mickey most. It's, uh, it's um, you know, somebody who uh, I, I actually, I mean, I know a, a little bit about, but it's nice to hear that there's, you know, there's a few, almost like he's almost like a gatekeeper to a sense, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was, he was really a good person and uh, he knew what he wanted. It was, there was none of this sort of, mm, not sure about that, so I'll give it a listen tonight. It was, I love that, or I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that kind of sums sums up the the era you know you're talking about making backing vocals up in the in the moment you know he's making decisions split second decisions in the moment on and it's gut reactions isn't it um yeah to a song yeah. uh, that's why a lot of the music i think that's why you know why we're ultimately having this conversation because there's so much love for that period of time because of those quick decisions i think i think so and, and also when we were doing that sort of thing um usually there was a, a part for you written out which we used to almost, in every case, throw out straight away. Yeah. We make our own. <laughs> what sounded good to us wasn't actually what was written on the page. So we, you know, we, we said, well, try this. I think this will sound all right. And eventually they will come back to say, you're absolutely right. That sounds great. 
<laughs> I love it. It's just um yeah, really confident um sort of attitude towards it. <laughs> um something I'm quite interested in is I, I talked about your mum is out of town and obviously that was with um the Southerners, the first first sort of project you put together. And that yeah. wasn't that wasn't one of your songs. How how did did were you frustrated that you were being asked to release a song that wasn't yours? Um, no, not not really. My wife just reminded me it was Mitch Murray. Yeah? Yes, that's right. Yeah, and, and he was he was a good friend, so we didn't mind doing oh, okay. that to him. <laughs> Did it just feel like normal? You know, that was quite a normal thing. Yeah, yeah. Were you eager to to have? You know, for your songs to be on a release, or did it? You know, were you just happy sort of making the music and putting it out? Oh, we we liked hits. <laughs> <laughs> hits were very good for us. <laughs> and Mitch, you know, um, she was just mentioned that uh, he wrote a lot of hits, Mitch Murray, and uh, he was a very good writer. Okay, so you were you know more than happy to accept something from him. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also curious about the um. The sort of package tours that you so the Ivy League were obviously quite a success, and you ended up having to go on, uh, you know, a presumably quite a, to- a heavy touring schedule. Um, you know, see these big, big package tours that would go around the um, uh, sort of cinemas and, and bingo halls and things. And uh, you know, what was that lifestyle like? Was that um, I imagine it being quite hard work? Hated it. <laughs> <laughs> And so did my wife. <laughs> She's telling me now. <laughs> <laughs> what didn't you like about it? Well, it was taking you away from sitting at home writing new <laughs> new songs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I tour a lot, and I know that it's, you know, it seems on the face of it like it's really fun, but actually, it's a lot of sitting around, not doing very much, and and uh, you know, presumably your slots were about twenty minutes long, and that would have been that for the yeah. night, for, for the night. Yeah. Quite, quite agree. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather be at home writing a, a new song. I guess that seems to be. I mean, the the um, so the liner notes of of the compilation that that's been released that we're um, you know, the reason that we're talking, um, talked about you making the decision to to leave the Ivy League, and it all sort of came about exactly at a similar time to, you know, the Beach Boys stopping touring, the Beatles stopping touring, well, Brian Wilson stopping touring, and um, it seemed to be across the board creative people who were songwriters were not finding touring conducive to to being creative essentially mm, i quite you, agree with yeah, that, was that I, fair? Agree. I used to hate hate touring and being away from home was that quite a big decision to to stop i know you didn't you really didn't like it but you'd been writing with ken for a long time at that point and he stayed in the ivy league so was it did you feel like it was a you know, was it a tough decision to make to to sort of stop right? You know, stop um, being with Ken all the time and and um, and sort of go off on your own and do something slightly different. Well, I I actually thought, you know, when when I decided to leave, I thought Ken would probably say, "Yeah, I think you're right. I'll I'll leave as well," but he didn't, and uh, that was it really with our writing together, wasn't it? We 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 stopped writing together and Ken, yeah. So then you you began writing with Jeff Stevens following that. Um, yes, yeah. How did your relationship with Jeff differ? I mean, just in terms of writing um, to Ken's, was it you know? Did you have a different role, or how how did it work together with both of you guys? I, th- 
think with Jeff, we had more laughs together. Because <laughs> he was... Uh... Sorry, Jill was going to say uh, something. Say that, um, Jeff didn't play the piano like Ken. Yes. So you worked more on the guitar and yeah. words. And... Yes, Jill's just reminding me that um, Jeff didn't play an instrument very well. Mm -hmm. But he was brilliant with lyrics and things you know he he could make it really come to life that's it's, it's interesting because i know i mean i play a bit of piano and a bit of guitar and i know that songwriting is different is very different on the piano the songs come out differently on the piano than they do on the guitar um, absolutely true yeah, yeah. So did you find that the songs that you were coming up with with jeff were moving in a slightly different direction i know i know the sort of the te the um the taste had moved on to sort of more psychedelia at the sort of mid to late sixties, but um, presumably the the instrumentation must have meant that the songs changed. Yeah, it probably did. But you know, I always thought a good song is a good song. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you do to it, you know, and if it still sounds fantastic when you finish with it, then you're on the right direction. You're in the right direction. Then. There we have it, the first part of my conversation with John Carter and his wife, Jill. I uh, really do hope you enjoyed that. Do go and delve into the back catalogue of John's material. Um, like I said, there's some tracks on the Spotify playlist that I've made, um, which involve... Uh, there's Some of them are, are songs that John has performed on and written. Some of them are just songs that he's written that are performed by other artists. Uh, do go and check cherryred.co.uk for more details on the compilation. Um, it is absolutely fantastic. They haven't paid me to say that. <laughs> um, I'm not interested in that kind of stuff. I'm just interested in great music and telling you about cool things. And this is an extremely cool thing. So go and check out cherryred.co.uk and the new John, John uh, Carter My World Fell Down compilation CD that's out, or CDs, four CDs. So that just leaves me to say, if you would like to support this podcast by purchasing a mug or one of my CDs you can do that at my website allyouneedisdrums.com also you can see my collection of re-recorded Beatles drum tracks that I've done um, and are continually doing um, on there you can also get in contact with me if you've got suggestions for guests for the podcast or just want to say hey um, always appreciate uh, listeners getting in touch you can do that through my website too and um, that just leaves me to say a huge thank you to Adam Mallet for the artwork he supplies for the podcast, to Joe Kane for the intro and outro music, and to Rory Hancock for all of the legwork he does uploading and editing the podcast. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening, and I will be back next week with the second half of this conversation. Goodbye! <laughs>